0: Welcome to the first official episode of Recreational Thinking. This is going to be a slightly shortened format from the pilot. We're not going to do the Connections round. since those questions will be used hopefully in a live event called Yogish Connect that I also run. So we're just going to start with the individual round and then the specialist rounds will have only three questions per round per person as opposed to five in the pilot. All right. So, well, the order we go in, it's the order you initially contact me also happens to be alphabetical order, I think. Uh, Mike, Muffy, Harvey. That's arbitrary, but we're going to stick with it here. So, okay. The first individual question is going to be directed at Mike, and then if he misses, to Muffy, and then if she, uh, both of them miss, to Harvey. All right. Question one. The website of which North American university Contains a section titled The Birth of Three Sports, referencing the fact that within a 10-month span in the 1870s, its students co-organized both the first modern game of gridiron football and the first modern game of ice hockey. Oh, and James Naismith was an alumnus, too. Princeton? That is incorrect. Muffy, do you know? Rutgers? Uh, Incorrect. Uh, Harvey? Uh, UMass? All right, so this is uh, North American. was a clue you might be looking outside the U.S. This Uh, was actually... uh, 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 (laughs) Uh, And the Canadians do like to claim James Naismith, uh, even though he invented basketball in the U.S., he uh, was educated in Canada at McGill University.
1: Oh. Oh. All right. Okay.
0: (laughs) So the next one will be directed at first at Muffy, then uh, Harvey, if she misses, then Mike. Which musical acts 1996 debut album on Avery Island is named for Louisiana salt dome. That's the original source of the peppers used to make Tabasco sauce. This act is better known for their second and final album.
1: Oh, heavens! So somebody's only had two albums, but they were significant enough to get asked about 1996 debut. I should know these things. Cause I was, I was young back then. Uh, <laughs> A Louisiana band. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, The only thing I can, I have no idea. I'm going to say Blues Traveler.
0: All right. That's uh, not correct. That goes to Harvey.
2: 90s music is not exactly a wheelhouse for me. Fair enough. Um, Yeah. um, I'm just going to throw out Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: (laughs) That would fit with the pepper thing, but it's uh, not correct.
2: Right. (laughs) That was just on the theory, it's better to guess something. Oh
0: yeah, it def- There's no penalty for guessing. Absolutely. All right, and uh, Mike.
2: Uh, would it happen to be
0: Sublime? Uh, it is not. So this their, <laughs> yeah, their second album was uh, called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, one of the oh, this, this one, uh, works of uh, indie rock. Do you know it now? Neutral Milk Hotel. It's Neutral Milk Hotel? Yes.
1: Well, when you tell me the obvious thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, and only only two albums before they uh, disappeared from the face yeah. of the earth. Uh, We are up
2: to a rollicking start, aren't we? (laughs)
1: All
0: right, so this one goes first to Harvey. 210 East 400 South is the address of the main public library in which city?
2: Wait, 210 East 400 South. So there's no, like, word like street or avenue after 400? Is that correct? Correct. That's the entirety of the address. 210 East 400 South. This is just going to be a wild guess. Um, I don't know what city would have street addresses in that pattern. I'm just going to guess Chicago. All right, that's a good guess, but not correct. Mike?
3: I think I've actually been at this location. This would be Salt Lake
0: City. Yeah, so uh, the there are a few cities in the area, but the most prominent being Salt Lake City that have a very unusual grid pattern for addresses. In Salt Lake City, it starts at Temple Square, I believe, and then just a, a grid-like pattern for that. So yes, that is correct. It is Salt Lake City. Woohoo! All right. So first, uh, first correct answer goes to Mike. Uh, next question starts with Mike. What winner of the 2013 Tony Award for Best Musical shares its name with a 1964 novelty single by The Avengers, stars Patrick Mcnee and Honor Blackman, that oddly did not enter the pop charts until 1990 when it rose to number five in the UK.
3: Wow. Uh, let let them (laughs) pack. Uh, Billy Elliot. Uh, that, uh,
0: that is a Broadway musical, but not the one we're looking for. Uh, Muffy? 2013,
1: I'm trying to think, um, oh my gosh, oh, I can't, I can't pull it right now, I'm just gonna say Kinky Boots.
0: So, uh, again, triangulating on what would be a popular thing in the kind of the 60s, cool Britannia era, and also the name of a recent musical, it is in fact Kinky Boots. Oh, Licky <laughs> Very good. All mm-hmm. right. Question five starts with Muffy. Oh. All right. In the "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" episode, "The Maureen Ponderosa Wedding Massacre," which eminent fantasy film director makes a cameo as Pappy McPoyle? Eminent
1: film director in the oh, it's what kind of film director did you say he was again?
0: Fantasy film, no known for fantasy films.
1: Fantasy films. Uh, Heavens, the only person I can think of there would be uh, Peter Jackson?
0: That's a good guess, but not correct. Uh, Harvey? That was going to be my guess. (laughs) (laughs) You have a bit of advantage going second, the obvious guess, to our one obvious guess. So now I'm
2: thinking of a movie, and I can't pull who the director was. Um, And if I say the movie, that would just help Mike out. (laughs) So... God, why am I blanking on this dude's name? Um, I'm just going to say Cuaron. Uh
0: Another good guess, but not correct. Um, Mike? Uh,
3: I don't really have anything here either, so I'm just going to say M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs>
0: All right, so I think so. this is someone who's good friends with and bears a certain physical resemblance to Peter Jackson and also very good friends with Alfonso Cuarón, apparently a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. His name is Guillermo del Toro. Ah,
2: That's the guy yeah, who no. I was trying to pull, I think, if he's the one who did Pan's Labyrinth.
0: Yes, he is. He did do Pan's yeah. Labyrinth. But I know
1: that Shyamalan is from Philadelphia, so that was not a bad guess either.
0: <laughs> that's, that's true as well, and he, I think he has been referenced on that show before. I'm not sure if you ever appeared on it. Uh, so, six, we'll start with Harvey. Which year's Olympics saw the only usage of the IOC country code EUN? Echo Uniform November.
2: EUN. So, today I learned that countries that host the Olympics have IOC country codes. <laughs> um, EU. So, it would have to be a country that only hosted once. EU. You're saying which year is Olympics? Yeah. So, the, yeah,
0: the country, code again, every, every competitor in the Olympics has a country code. It's not just the host.
2: Oh, so are you saying is it the only year that that country competed or the only year that that country hosted? It's the only year that that code was used. Okay. Um, and that code is used for competitors. So I'm just trying to parse what you're asking here.
0: Right. So every competing nation has a specific code that uniquely identifies it. And I'm asking, which year's Olympics was the code EUN used for a competitive nation or entity for the only time?
2: Okay, so not for a host nation. That's what I was trying to get at. Yes, not a host So what, what country would have only competed once? Um, I'm trying to think, like, even... Well, EU seems to imply Europe, but I can't think of a European country that only competed once. So
0: So even any any year that had an Olympics will give you a non-zero chance.
2: Right. No, I get that. I'm just trying to reason out which country it would have been, because that might lead me, based on geopolitical events, to the one and only year like... must have been a short-lived country or a country that was quickly ostracized from the world community. Um, this is probably going to be wildly wrong, but I'm going to guess that maybe North Korea was not allowed to compete after a certain point during the Korean War. So I'm going to say 1956. All right. Good guess. Um, but, uh, that's not correct.
0: So we'll go to Mike next.
3: I think since it's an Olympic code, it's in French, not English, and so the E would be for Équipe, and if I remember right, the 1992 Olympics had a unified team of the former Soviet Republic, so I will say 1992.
0: Right, so yeah, EUN, it does indeed stand for Équipe Unifé, or uh, Unified Team, and that was the name of the team representing the Commonwealth of Independent States which was only in two Olympics, one summer and one winter, and they both were in 1992. So that's correct.
1: Nicely done. Thank
2: you. Wow, I am in awe.
0: (laughs) Very good. All right. When do Uh, we
2: get to our own category? (laughs) Just
0: one more round of these. Um, So the first, okay, starting with Mike. The injection of wastewater into the Arbuckle has led to a drastic uptick in earthquakes over the course of the past few years. In which state?
3: I believe the big problem with this one is the state of Oklahoma.
0: So the Arbuckle is a uh, rock layer and in which uh, wastewater, mostly from oil drilling, has been pumped into and this has led to a huge increase in earthquakes in Oklahoma, correct? So you've gotten so far three and Muffy's gotten one. Uh, last one that uh, will go first to Muffy. Song to the Siren was performed on the 1968 series finale of The Monkees by what angelically voiced musician who died at the age of 28 and is today less famous than his sound-alike son?
1: Oh my, an angelic-voiced singer who's less famous than his son would have died at the age of 28. Um, I don't think it's not... You're giving me a hint, Yogesh, with the word angelic-voiced, and I don't know what the hint is. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, that's my yeah. least favorite kind of question. When I know I'm being helped and I can't figure out the help. Slowing to the assignment i I'm trying to think who has been friends with the monkeys besides um, probably oh who is, has is a the offspring of someone. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of anything. I will just say Donovan, but I think he didn't die <laughs> then.
0: <laughs> yeah, Donovan. I think he may even still be alive, but yeah,
1: he's still kicking. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Not if I have
1: something to say about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for good guess,
2: but incorrect. So, Harvey? And this, you're saying this person performed in the last episode of The Monkees TV yes. show, which yes. was placed, I would guess, in the late 60s. and he, If he died at 28, that means he would have died either in the late 60s or early 70s. Um, and he would have been born around 1940, so his son maybe be born in the early 60s early to mid 60s and his son had much greater success You said as a singer than this angelic voiced individual did correct
0: i think most people would say that his son is the more famous one
2: most people which implies that the father had some degree of success as well mm-hmm. um and i'm wondering if the son is a something junior 28 that is really young it is um i'm trying to think like Jimi hendrix died really young but i don't think he was angelic voice most people would describe him as and i don't know if he had a son um are are you asking for the name of the father or the son yeah
0: the father um although again and unless i specify otherwise usually last names only are acceptable and it is often the case that fathers and sons have the same last
2: name Right. The prototypical example being the President Adams is. Um so you want the name of the dad. Yes. Although if you um, give
0: if you give an accurate last name without a first name, I will accept it.
2: Okay. Um and the son would would be in the late forties, early fifties now. Uh um this is just gonna be a, another wild guess. Um I'm just going to hope that, no, even he isn't old enough. Damn it. Uh, So I'm going to go for Lucky Jones. Jones is your guess?
0: Yeah. All right. uh, Good good guess, but uh, not correct. Mike? I'm
3: not too sure on this either, and I might have some first name confusion, so I'm going to take your offer of just saying a last name. Would it happen to be Buckley?
0: So yeah, it says that Muffy. So, in, so contrary to what Muffy thought, I originally uh, angelically voice was just supposed to be a description of the voice basically sounding really pretty. It did occur to me later that uh, in the early seasons of King of the Hill, uh, Luanne does date someone named Buckley who then comes back as what's called Buckley's angel. So I guess that is kind of an unintentional hint. But his son was named Jeff Buckley, and he actually also died very young. Um, but he left behind a recording of Leonard Cohen's "Hallelujah," which mm-hmm. is uh, an extremely famous uh, recording. Has been used in many movies and TV shows. Uh, but his father, who had a very similar voice, but died even younger, was named Tim Buckley. Huh. So uh,
3: yeah, I remember um, Jeff. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the first name of Tim.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's another. I think that's the fourth one for Mike. And um, now the last. Question of this round, uh, we'll start with Harvey. All right, here goes. Eli M. Black, CEO of United Brands, the company now known as Chiquita, formerly United Fruit, went bananas in 1975 mm. and pulled himself from the 44th floor of which Big Apple skyscraper? Located at 200 Park Avenue overlooking Grand Central. You can give either its current name or the name it had at the time.
2: That would be the MedLife building, formerly known as the Pan Am building.
0: Yeah, so when my uh, when I was born, I believe my father was working there, and it was called the Pan Am Building, but it is now the MetLife Building, so uh, both of those are acceptable. And so at the end of this round, this is these questions reach just um, mainly as a warm-up, but we'll count them each a tenth of a point so they can serve as tiebreakers at the end. But I believe Mike had four, and Muffy and Harvey had one each. So your score is going into the specialist round, 0.4. Mike, 0.1. Muffy, 0.1. Harvey. Now, the specialist rounds, these questions are worth two points as a steal, one point if it's directed to you, and we'll rotate. So we'll start with the question directed at Mike, but before he answers, Muffy and Harvey can work together to steal. So if they steal, they'll each get two points. Even if only one of you knows the answer, both of you get the points. If you get it wrong, Mike will have a chance to answer for one point. And Muffy
2: and I can confer when trying to steal. That is correct. You're allowed to confer.
0: Alrighty then. We always
1: confer before we steal. That's how I operate as a thief.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Honor honor among thieves, exactly. (laughs) All right. So question one directed first to Muffy and Harvey together, and then if they miss, to Mike. Quimby, Lovejoy, Kearney, Slanders, and Terwilliger aren't just surnamed on The Simpsons. They are also streets that can be found in what major U.S. city
2: on the Willamette River?
1: Oh, I I would know this one because it's uh, from The Simpsons. Matt Groening grew up in, I believe it's Portland, Oregon.
2: Right. Um, I knew that the Willamette River is in Oregon. And of course, it it would be a nice shout out by Yogesh to himself to ask a question about Portland. (laughs) So So um, I'm fully aboard with you on this.
0: All right.
1: We're in agreement. Portland.
0: So yeah, the uh, these are all um, streets I, I hear about or sometimes drive on. Since um, even though I live across the river in Vancouver, I most weekdays I drive into and back from Portland, and that's correct. So uh, two points for each of you. Now, next Yo, question.
2: Gosh, um, so I might understand that in this individual round, you don't announce what the category is beforehand. Right. Yeah. Right. I
0: derive them from the, uh, the categories you sent. Some are directly, some are more indirectly tied to. I, I won't announce beforehand. Um, as it turns out, sometimes you might get unlucky in that one of your specialist categories is also something one of your opponents knows a lot about. And I'm afraid that might happen to you, Harvey, in this game. Uh, that's just, Well,
2: uh, um, I figured with... I think I know which category you're referring to, and I figured that was a risk. But anyway, onward.
0: All right, so the next one will go first to Mike and Harvey together and then to Muffy if they miss. Mike and Harvey. Edenton, North Carolina on October 25th, 1774. Chestertown, Maryland on May 23rd, 1774. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on December 25th, 1773. These are said to be the dates and locations of three not-that-famous events known by a certain two-word phrase. What city was the location of the most famous event known by that phrase?
2: Mike, could these be events that were leading up—either events that were leading up to the Boston Tea Party or the Boston Massacre?
3: I I was leaning towards the massacre. But either way,
2: you're thinking all signs point to Beantown?
3: Yeah, I believe so.
2: Okay, let's go with Boston. All right, you're lucky in Boston as your answer? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't try and drag it out. These are uh, The Edentown Tea Party, the Chestertown Tea Party, the Philadelphia Tea Party, and the most famous of those being the Boston Tea Party. So that's uh, two points for Mike and Harvey. All right, this next one goes first to Mike and Muffy and then to Harvey. On April 6, 1973, Ron Blomberg of the New York Yankees became the first major leaguer to play what position?
3: Uh, Being an employee of a Major League Baseball team, I better get this one, but I'll (laughs) I'll try
1: try it as well. (laughs) I am utterly outclassed in that regard. My goodness. And I
2: do wish that I had chosen a different third category, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: It was the first time this position had been played in baseball? Yes. Is this going to be, uh, Mike, I will defer to your wisdom. I'm going
0: to say the designated hitter?
3: It would be the designated hitter.
0: All right, so you're both you're you're locking in designated hitter? Correct. Yes. Right. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly that is correct. So uh, that will I, okay I believe I believe
1: Mike is my designated hitter in this
0: regard. <laughs> okay, you so know that, it
1: I, I there was a big question mark at the end there for me.
0: <laughs> All right, so that should tie everyone, I believe, now at four points. Okay, so that again, these are this is, was meant to be an easy kind of start around. So now the next uh, next round still relatively easy. It'll get progressively harder as the game goes on, but we'll start with all right. Start with a question for uh, Muffy and Harvey trying to steal for Mike. Muffy and Harvey, what TV character, and this time you need the first and last name, said this line of dialogue. Here's the line: My brother Eddie sells faulty sprinkler systems to elementary schools. My cousin Tim fixes NBA games. My mother's an Olympic-level racist. But as for the rest, they're too drunk to do much of anything unless getting thrown out of a Chili's is a crime.
1: Oh, my goodness. I've heard that getting thrown out of a Chili's is a crime line before, and I can't think of it. So it's someone... Harvey, any thoughts?
2: What, what type of show do you think it is? Like it's a gotta sitcom? Be,
1: yeah, it's got to be kind of funny, and it's got to be... sounds like a, someone who's like a...
2: And we know he has a brother at... If it's a he, has a brother, Eddie.
1: Yeah, and a first and last name. So the Chili's is going to place it, let's say, 90s onward. um 90s, early 2000s kind of stuff.
2: Um, and this is someone who has a big family.
1: Yeah, big family and obviously not a, let's say not a law-abiding family.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, getting thrown out of a Chili's does not require the commission of a felony. <laughs>
1: could just be you ask whatever happened to the to the uh you know awesome blossom and they, they you know you <laughs> get worked up um i don't know maybe is it I'm trying to think of like a sort of no good character but um, the
2: fact that it's a no good character would rule out a show like seventh heaven exactly <laughs>
1: well, well yes. yeah not uh, you know in the fictional world um how about uh, I'm trying to take first and last name required suggest that It's somebody with a significant name. Um, who is? Yeah, now? like maybe
2: the, the show has the name of the character, one of the characters, or the character's family in its Gosh, title.
1: Yeah, only um can't think of, and it'd be someone who's trying to be better than their family if they're sort of, I don't know. Uh, oh, they're setting the oh, bar. About, kind you of know like, what? What about my name is Earl? What was Earl's name?
2: I don't know his surname. <laughs>
1: I do yeah, neither do I. Earl, uh, I have no idea. You pick a last name, Harvey.
0: Lucky Jones.
1: All right, Earl Jones?
0: All right. Are you locking in Earl Jones? Sure. Perhaps unsurprisingly, that is not correct. (laughs) I am shocked. (laughs) All right, Mike, do you know?
3: Well, I'm a little flummoxed myself, and I'm only going to know a first name, so I'm hoping it's going to work is this fat tony
0: All right. so the uh, the key one here was of course uh, my cousin tim fixes nba games there is uh, a tradition oh, oh. of um oh, yeah. i
3: got now
0: <laughs> yeah just to, i think it started well on the show homicide a character named megan russert was a relative of the real life figure tim russert since then uh, shows have figured out that you can make your fictional characters related to real life people and this, what was the name of the real life referee being referenced there it would
3: be tim donaghy
0: and uh, the fictional character, mm-hmm. who is his cousin, would be? Uh,
3: Jack Donaghy. Oh.
0: Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. There
1: you go.
0: All right. So uh, still uh, no harm, no foul on that. Still four points each. And this next one goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal for Muffy. Arthur Kennedy in Bright Victory. Elizabeth Hartman in A Patch of Blue. John Malkovich in Places of the Heart. Audrey Hepburn in Wait Until Dark. What most prominently connects these Oscar-nominated performances? other than that they were oscar nominated performances.
2: Of well, I know that in Wait Until Dark, Audrey Hepburn's character was blind. Mike, any? are you familiar with any of the other performances? Not really,
3: but that's a very good guess. Do
2: you want to go
3: with it? I would say go with it.
2: Okay, we'll log in. The characters were blind. All
0: right, yeah, I think the, the Audrey Hepburn one was a little more recognizable than the others, but yes, that's correct, uh... Successful steal for uh, Mike and Harvey. All right. Next question goes to Mike and Muffy trying to steal from Harvey. There are two distinct types of seismic waves known as P waves and S waves. What in this context do P and S stand for? You need both.
1: Um, Oh, heavens. Okay. Mike, thoughts? (laughs) Uh,
3: Well, living in Michigan, we're not exactly Earthquake Central here.
1: You are. Well, thinking about how things move, because there's the kind where... What kind of waves could you have? Seismic waves, you could have, um, I don't know, like prolonged and staccato.
3: See, I, I'm wondering if they're actually for Greek letters.
1: That could be true. Psi and sigma? Sigma. That sounds like a wave.
3: Or, or pi and sigma.
1: Pi and sigma?
3: Yeah.
1: I, I I You are my designated hitter, Mike. I defer to you.
3: Okay. <laughs> we're, we're guessing pi and sigma.
0: You're locked in pi and sigma? Yep. All right. Uh, Harvey, do you have any thoughts?
2: you're not telling me if they got it right.
0: (laughs) As I said, it it Um,
2: was a question. What do the PNS stand for? Yes. Well, obviously, I have nothing or if I'm remembering your preliminary email correctly, I'm not allowed to give the same response that they did.
0: I mean, you're allowed, but it's not very smart, right? Because either if it's right, they'll get the points. And if it's wrong, no one gets the points. So from a game theory point of view, the, the smart thing to do is to give a different answer.
2: Right. Um, I like their reasoning about the Greek letters. Um, I'm going to guess psi and sigma.
0: All right. So this, uh, the, the reasoning about Greek letters was not uh, the right line to go along. These are just in terms of body waves. The first that are sent out are primary waves. Then come the <laughs> secondary waves. So right, the that's P-
1: so boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the P and S stand for primary and secondary in this context.
2: All
1: right. I think we all overthought it. Yeah. Too
0: scientific. <laughs> Again, yeah, you're still in the second uh, cycle of questions, so uh, don't... All right. Uh, next one for Muffy and Harvey, trying to steal from Mike. Question. The two th- uh, putting aside the 2012 replacement refs debacle, in 2015, Sarah Thomas became the first full-time female official in the NFL. In 2017, she became a head linesman, leading to that position being renamed what?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It's not a linesman; it must be a, a line judge or a line
2: or lines person.
1: That sounds sillier, though.
2: <laughs> it sounds too obvious, but
1: uh, lines linesman, lines person, line judge, line ref, line empire. I kind of like line judge. Isn't this just in anyway, sorry.
2: I mean they Wheel hamster the,
1: wheels spinning in my head. <laughs> um what do you think? Line Or,
2: or it line? could be line referee.
1: Or um that uh, might be confusing though if that's separate from like an actual
2: Well, it might just be a subdivision of referee now.
1: Okay. I I haven't uh, I haven't, um, I haven't um, got anything other than what feels like, you know, it's gotta be a synonym
2: actually um i like your initial thought of line judge
1: all right because isn't that what they call them in tennis or something i don't
0: know um we'll go with line judge Uh, you're locked you're locking in line judge yeah sure all right uh mike do you have any thoughts
3: um i'm thinking of the college official you know they don't wear a number on their back they have the position and it's a c and i believe that's for center judge so that's what i'm going to guess
0: All right. So, in fact, the position has now been renamed down judge. Ah. You you all had the judge part right, but they're judging to see if, uh, I guess, a first down (laughs) has been made. Um, Yeah, that that sounds more like a command you might give to your dog if your dog was named judge. Down judge, down. All right. All right. And so now this goes to uh, Mike and Harvey trying to steal from Muffy. Which city's historic naval shipyard can be found at the confluence of the Delaware and Schuylkill Rivers?
2: Mike, that, those rivers are definitely in Philadelphia. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing.
3: I've been trapped on their expressway several times. My but. parents
2: grew up there, so I've spent quite a lot of time in that city.
0: Yeah, I I, I would go for
2: it, Harvey. Okay, uh, let's lock in Philly.
0: All right, you're locking in Philadelphia, uh, but... Yeah, so not that challenging a question, but I did get to show, hopefully the audio is good enough that it caught my pronunciation of Schuylkill, because I kind of rehearsed (laughs) that, uh, to to hopefully it sounds somewhat authentic, but yes, that's correct, and uh, opens up a bit of a lead for Mike and Harvey. Yeah, yeah. As a Uh, native Philadelphian, (laughs) I will just say, oh, you guys, I'm going to get water. All right, and now um, the uh, the last question of these uh, the easy round. So uh, after this, the first third of the game will be over. But this is from Mike and Muffy, trying to steal from Harvey. Local officials are looking into expanding a section of U.S. Route 89 within Glen Canyon National Recreation Area in order to accommodate tourism at what picturesque meander in the Colorado River?
3: Okay. Heaven. If I remember right... Uh... Being that I went here once by car, I believe this is going to be the Grand Canyon.
1: Okay, so expand Route eighty nine to accommodate tourism. The Colorado River is the, certainly the Grand Canyon. Yeah, and I know there's like the one road that just goes straight up from Flagstaff, and it uh, that could make sense. So I I I agree.
0: Okay, we're gonna go with Grand Canyon. Locked in Grand. All right, Harvey, do you know?
2: I mean, the only thing that strikes me is is. Glen Canyon, part of um, or somehow associated with the Grand Canyon, um, picturesque meander. Can't think of any other meanders in the Colorado River. Just wondering if Glen Canyon is pointing somewhere other than the Grand Canyon. I don't know the highways. I haven't driven the car since 2010. So that part isn't going to help me, picturesque meander. It has to be somewhere between Texas and Arizona, I guess. And I have nothing to gain by guessing Grand Canyon anyway, just trying to come up with an alternative guess.
0: Right, you can try and work back on the wording. If If you know what a meander is, you can try and fraud a guess based on that.
2: Well, originally the meander itself was a river in mythological times, but I associate a meander with sort of a wandering, Um, not necessarily a bend, but you also did say it was picturesque. I can't think of any walls or anything which could also be a meander in that context. Anything? Anything? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really hard to come up with another guess when you don't have anything better than what the people who are trying to steal have said. So on this one, I'm just gonna kind of have to take a knee, I think, fair enough, and, fair enough. and say that I don't have anything better than their guess.
0: All right. So
2: uh,
0: yeah, if, they, if, if their guess had been correct, I would have I would have cut you off a bit earlier. It would have been cruel to let you keep trying to guess. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think Glen Canyon is actually a bit further north. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not looking at a map. I think Glen Canyon is a little further north. They are both in Arizona, I believe. But um, the I, I played around with a few different versions of this for going from I, – I originally thought about maybe just asking for the Colorado River, which would be much less obscure. But um, this particular bend, if you know – so a meander just means – it was mythologically an ancient river, but now it just means a uh, a bend, basically, or a curve in the river – And if you think about the shape that it might take, uh, if it's particularly uh, kind of uh, kinky, it might be a – should look like a horseshoe. So this is called Ah. a horseshoe bend.
2: Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, that one was now within my knowledge base. All right.
0: So at the end of the first uh, round, this is – Mike is in the lead with 8.4, very close behind Harvey with 8.1. And Muffy at 4.1.
2: And keep in mind those were the supposedly easier ones.
0: Yeah, I think in the future I might try and skew the easier ones a little easier. i was still kind of finding finding the right <laughs> level there. All right. So now the uh, the medium, or as I uh, sometimes will somewhat whimsically call them, the only somewhat hard questions. Uh, we'll start with uh, Muffy and Harvey trying to steal from Mike. All right, Muffin Harvey. Soccer official Tofik Baramov is something of a national hero in Azerbaijan. But in the West, he is best known for signaling that the controversial Wembley goal should be awarded to England over the protests of West Germany. In what year's FIFA World Cup did that fateful call take place?
1: Oh, I believe... So if it's going to be England winning and West Germany still exists, (laughs) um, or... uh, So West Germany...
2: The He's wall about, fell in 1989.
1: Yeah, so it's November 1989. So let's see, our World Cups were we had one. They're
2: quadrennial. Yeah. Um, so when was the last? It would have been one? last
1: year for the men. So four? No, sorry. Uh, six. Wait, 2010 was one. 2014. 2018. So six. Two. So. Uh, 98,
2: 94, 90. So the last time it could have been was 86.
1: Uh, I kind of, for some reason, that's what jumped into my head anyway. Um, hold on. Yeah. Let's say 19. I, why not? 19. Um,
2: are, you said it jumped into your head. Is there it's anything? Gotta be,
1: it's got to be someone who's a soccer official from Azerbaijan, um, who is presumably still still around, I think. is that What was the question again? Is he still alive?
2: He was, was Azerbaijan identified? Because wasn't it one of the SSRs? Mm-hmm. Um, and the USSR had not yet broken up at that time. Well, he's
1: from Azerbaijan as of, like, now. So that's it sounded to me like he's still alive, but I don't remember how Yogesh asked it.
2: <laughs>
0: I, said, I said he is considered a national hero. I did not say whether he's or not still- he was still alive.
1: All right, so well, actually, so Wembley Stadium, all right, so it could be 86. I believe England wins the World Cup in 1960, in which case West Germany would have existed as well.
2: Right. It definitely did in nineteen sixty.
1: And although Azerbaijan might not have existed as an independent nation, it would have been one of the Soviet republics. Right. Um, and he certainly could have
2: been born um, or lived in that part of the USSR in nineteen sixty. Yeah, or in nineteen eighty six.
1: Uh I, th- I I think it's nineteen sixty. I really I mean we are we are my you know, my sports knowledge is kind of kiddie pool deep. So <laughs> This um, could be entirely wrong. I don't yeah. mind saying that I mean England over West Germany, nineteen sixty ish sounds right to me, but I could be making
2: things up. Because um, your original hunch was eighty six, so I'm just curious. No. I don't I
1: mean, know, I was just thinking that was just like the last time I could think of West Germany being around, but I it's and that someone but I was thinking the guy still had to be alive. Okay. He's still uh, a huge hero. So
2: Football is among the sports I know am least comfortable with so i'm not gonna have any better knowledge than you on this so i'll join you and let's lock in 1960
0: sounds good to me all right you're locked in 1960 yeah <laughs> all right, uh mike do you know
3: well I, I think the key of that question is wembley and so that means it would have had to have happened in england and I believe England hosted the World Cup in 1966. Oh. So, oh, I'm going to have my guess of 1966.
0: All right. So again, yeah, if you, asked, uh, you know, you were on the right, um, Muffy and Harvey were on the right track with the math saying it, you know, it had to be essentially congruent to two, mod four, or an off, like a non-Olympic year, basically, which is why
2: I'm a bit surprised you said 1960, because that's no, not. <laughs> oh, we didn't even do the math, yeah. but... But then you probably would
0: have said sixty-two anyway. Yeah. So I will say, in in the, this had been asked to anyone in England, it would have been a very it would have been a one point question because uh, <laughs> everyone in that country knows the year of England's only uh, World Cup victory. Um, and part of the lore of that is that the uh, the signal was given by a quote unquote Russian linesman. Of course, if you're actually from Azerbaijan, they'll be the first to tell you he was not Russian. He was Azeri, and uh, there's a huge um, stadium in. Uh, he died in the early 90s, and the huge um, football stadium in Baku uh, is named for him. Um, and the, the story goes that when he was asked on his deathbed how he was certain that he made the right call of awarding it to England over West Germany, he responded with one word. That word was Stalingrad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, and the, yeah, the
0: year... <laughs> The year, as Mike said, was 1966. Um, oh, yeah. So we're up into um, three, in this round, I believe, three points for a non-steal and four points for a steal. So that's three points for Mike. And the next question goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal for Muffy. Conspiracy Buff loves to point out that Congressman Hale Boggs, Sr., who served on the Warren Commission and was skeptical of the single bullet theory, disappeared while flying over Alaska in 1972. Well, we'll probably never know Bog's ultimate fate, we do know he was the father of what recently passed away newswoman familiar to NPR listeners?
3: Wow, I, I was going to guess that, you know, was this a question you had written before her passing, and just, it got stuck in there, but recently written question, uh, Harvey, I think this is Cokie Roberts.
2: That was the first name that jumped into my mind when you said recently passed. Um... I can't think of any other newswoman who's recently deceased um, of a high profile anyway, so I would agree with you.
0: Okay, we're gonna go with Cokie Roberts. All right. Again, I think maybe, maybe the calibration was a bit off. As this should have maybe this should have gone in the earlier round, but uh, that is correct. Uh, so that's four points to Mike and Harvey. To
1: steal a team name from trivia the other night. That's the way the Cokie crumbles. <laughs>
0: exactly. All right, so this um Mike and Muffy, I suspect will not have that hard a time stealing this one from Harvey. Uh, the 1966 Baltimore Orioles who won the first World Series title in franchise history featured two future Hall of Famers with the same last name. What was that surname? Muffy? Mm, yes, Mike, I'm fascinated
1: to hear your thoughts.
3: <laughs> well, um despite what people may think, they actually were not brothers. <laughs> A little obvious once you see their picture. Uh, I believe the, uh, do we have to just do the last name or have to do first names too?
0: Just the last name, although I'm sure you won't have any trouble with supplying their first names.
3: Okay, well, the last name should be Robinson, and the first name should be Brooks and Frank. you agree with that, Muffy?
1: Oh, yes.
3: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, so uh, Frank Robinson played in the outfield, Brooks Robinson, third base, uh, and as one was black and one was white, they were probably not related. Although I guess we can't be certain of that. Uh, but yes, that is correct. Uh, and that's four points for Mike and Muffy. Excellent. All right, now Muffy and Harvey trying to steal from Mike. In the season two, The Simpsons episode, Lisa the Substitute, the actor who voiced the title character, Mr. Bergstrom, was credited as Sam Etick. By what name do most of us know that Oscar-winning actor?
1: I do know this one, Harvey. I remember this episode. He, he really awakens her love for learning, but he's only a substitute, and he moves on. Uh, it was also Michael Jackson was not credited, I believe, when he appeared, and it's Dustin Hoffman didn't take credit when he did The Voice.
2: Locking that I in? With, um, Trust yeah, me, Harvey. I know that Michael Jackson was not credited when he appeared. Um, I had forgotten about that season two episode. That would have aired about 29 years ago. Yeah,
1: um, right, <laughs> He's dressed as a cowboy when he comes in, and it's Dustin Hoffman's voice.
2: I'll go along with you. You seem very certain of it.
1: If I'm wrong, you can shame me publicly. <laughs> Which I think this is what I said. We'll lock in with Dustin Hoffman.
0: All right, lock that in. Yeah, I won't, I won't bother sending it to Mike, because yes, that's correct. It is Dustin Hoffman. And I think you're right that there were pretty much only two uh, Simpsons guest stars who used pseudonyms, and after that they kind of... Uh, stop that practice of allowing them to. But yes, it's Justin Hoffman. All right. Uh, the next one goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal from Muffy. And this is kind of a long question, but there are <laughs> two things that I'm looking for and I refer I'm refer, I'll refer to one of them as x and one of them as y, just going back to math class for unknown variables. All right. In 2009, Lin Manuel Miranda gave a command performance at the White House of what would eventually become the Aaron Burr narrated opening number of Hamilton. In his intro, Miranda erroneously stated that Alexander Hamilton was born on the island of X. In fact, Hamilton was born on the island of Y. In the Mona Mania episode of Pretty Little Liars, Mona outbuzzes Spencer during a quiz bowl match and incorrectly states Hamilton emigrated to the U.S. from Y, after which Spencer correctly rings in and triumphantly answers that it was, in fact, X. So which two Caribbean islands are X and Y? In other words, which island... Was Hamilton born on and from what island did he emigrate to the U.S. mainland?
2: Um, I'm Mike. I know that one of those is Nevis. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I hadn't realized that there were two separate um, islands there, and I should have been paying better attention when I watched Hamilton just last weekend.
3: There's a lot of words there. You didn't have to remember everything.
2: Um, But Um, we basically need the other island. Um,
3: I always thought he was born on Bermuda.
2: Or maybe that's
3: the one that's actually wrong, but is is the why answer.
2: I'm pretty confident that one of the variables is Nevis. Okay. Uh, Is that the correct pronunciation, by the way?
3: It's good enough for this. (laughs)
2: Okay, yeah, phonetically. Um, I guess it would be too obvious to say that the other one would just be St. Kitts, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, I I think the other one's Bermuda.
2: Um, do we just have to give the names of the two islands in any order, Yogesh? Yeah, sure, I'll I'll accept.
0: I originally had it. you had to specify which was X and which was Y, but I'll I'll accept them in any order. All
3: right, Now that we probably got it wrong, but we'll go with it anyway. (laughs)
2: Um... I'm trying to think. Isn't there a, a town of Hamilton on the island of Bermuda? Right. Which That, would that make... was
0: my
3: reasoning for taking Bermuda.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's lock in Nevis and Bermuda. All right.
0: Nevis and Bermuda locked in? Yeah. Yes. All right. Muffy, do you have any thoughts?
1: Well, Shoot. I think technically, I think it was St. Kitts is the island he was born on. I'm not sure what the mistaken th- thought would be. Uh, I would say just to be different, I'll say Jamaica.
0: So those are your answers, St. Kitts and Jamaica? Yeah. So I think Hamilton is the capital of Bermuda. That's probably what was leading Mike astray. But I don't think Bermuda is actually in the Caribbean. I think it's a bit further east. Oh, yeah. But um. so he was, in fact, born on the island of Nevis, but mm-hmm. he grew up on... Uh, the, a different island, then I think, owned by Denmark, and there was a hurricane that struck it. He wrote an account of the hurricane, which was so well written that the people on the island took up a collection so he could be educated on the mainland. And that island was called Saint Croix. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'd hope that the kind of the raised profile of Hamilton in the past few years might make that a little, little more accessible. But um,
1: ironically, we all wasted our shot. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> right. <Let's> go. yeah. <laughs> this goes to Mike and Muffy first, trying to steal from Harvey. First World Hotel, which, thanks to a 2015 expansion, overtook the Venetians and Palazzo on the Las Vegas Strip as the official world's largest hotel, is located in what country?
1: So the uh, the first hotel to be larger than the Venetian, so the basically the largest hotel in the world, is that what he's asking, Mike? <laughs>
0: yes the largest yeah. where's the world's largest
1: hotel oh shoot i have heard this recently mike do you have any thoughts i can't think of it right now
3: well i was leaning towards uh that the first world hotel might be slightly ironic in the name that it might be like in doha or in indonesia or what about dubai or dubai
1: they like Everything to build things in Dubai now it is and they build they build islands shaped like the continents and silly things like that yeah um very large hotel (laughs) first world hotel i would just i don't know you're right there's so there's something in that phrasing that's probably attempt you know trying to lead us somewhere but i would just say dubai just because they build such i don't know it could be abu dhabi or i don't know dubai
0: i'd go with that oh sure let's lock in dubai all right dubai you locked in janitor
2: right harvey Uh uh-oh um, yeah, you asked for a country and they named an emirate, but I don't think it's in Dubai anyway because I was in Dubai and you said the hotel opened in 2015?
0: No, I said it was expanded in 2015.
2: Right, but I was in Dubai in 2017 and I don't remember hearing about that hotel. Granted, the downtown is so ginormous it's, it could have escaped my notice. Especially if it's at a price point way above what I would have been looking at. Um, but I'm just trying to think. What that hotel? Maybe it's in Abu Dhabi. It makes sense for there to be a really big hotel in one of those fast-growing countries on the Arabian Peninsula. I don't think it's in Doha. Um, I'm going to go with UAE. All
0: right. So, um, I mean, Norentine was right that when I say country, I'm basically going off of the Sporkle list of countries. So Dubai wouldn't count as it's an emirate. But I think you both were kind of thinking of the world, which is the artificial archipelago off the coast of Dubai. The first world hotel, um, one of Mike's initial guesses was kind of in the right area, but it is, in fact, in Malaysia. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So the next one goes to... Muffy and Harvey trying to steal from Mike. John Michael Higgins played David Letterman in what very entertaining 1996 HBO telefilm adapted from the nonfiction book by Bill Carter?
1: Oh, this is the TV um, movie about how like, Letterman didn't get The Tonight Show when Johnny Carson retired and they gave it to Jay Leno. And the guy who played Arts on Lost has a very fake chin and he plays Leno. John Michael Higgins plays Letterman. I think, Harvey, it's called, I think it's called The Late Shift. But it could be something like the, like the late night fight or something. I don't know. Late shift is what came to mind, but I don't know if you've seen it or
2: come across no. it. No. Um, 90s pop culture is a huge black hole for me. Um, <laughs> the, it was kind of a dark period when I didn't have a TV. <laughs> so it's
1: literally dark. Yeah. What did you do? Sit around and read? Um, uh, did you read the book? <laughs> I think it might be The Late mm. Shift, because it's sort of the... I'm familiar the with shift.
2: the event, um, and The Late Shift makes sense for what such a book could have been called. What was your other mm, thought? Yeah, it's
1: got that, I don't know, it's like The Late Night, so I think Late Shift just feels right. Uh, I don't think it was more words, and I can't think of anything else that would work. It's a little bit of a pun, it's a little bit literal.
2: Mm. Although The Late Shift doesn't get it how... Mm. Letterman was cruelly denied what should have gone to him.
1: <laughs> well, there's a shift because then he gets a show on a different channel, which had never happened before.
2: All right, let's go with the late shift.
1: Sure, the late shift.
0: All right, so yeah, that uh, you do have to be careful with the wording. I think some people might misremember it out of something like the late show. But yeah, the late shift was the name of both the book and the movie. Um, a, yeah, Daniel Roebuck as Jay Leno, John Michael Higgins as... David Letterman, and I believe Kathy Bates won an Emmy playing uh, Leno's manager, Helen Kushnick. Uh,
3: I am probably the only person who owns that on DVD.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I own it on DVD, actually. Uh, Like I said, I'm a little more sympathetic to Leno than most people, but uh, it's a entertaining story on the whole. But I believe that has pushed Harvey into the lead, taking it away from Mike. All right. Uh, Now the next question goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal from Muffy. This one uh, may take a little bit, of, you'll, you'll take a little bit of time to think, um, or you, you may not need it, but uh, if you do, you know, again, not, not too much time, but uh, you can take a little bit. The title of which U.S. number one hit song can be formed by taking the postal abbreviation of a U.S. state and then appending the capital of that state?
2: Okay, abbreviation of that state and then well, the capital. it's not, not going to be in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Um, I be. It would take too long to go through all the states. oh we have um, time um, <laughs> Hi Honolulu is not a real song, I don't think
3: no uh nor nor is Olympia
2: um, <laughs> nor is or Salem uh, nor is was, me, was, was
3: Columbus every pop hit
2: Doubtful. okay, but we the question doesn't give us any parameters for what time period it was a hit um. Was it given as a number one hit? Yes, yeah, so a top
0: of the bill, number one on the Billboard Hot 100.
2: In some year um, during the existence of the Billboard Hot 100. Right. Um,
3: the top one.
2: The most fruitful thing would be to quickly think of state capitals that could be the tail end of a name of a song. Right. I wonder if you were onto something with O. Columbus, because that would seem to be one of the few that fits. I'm quickly racking my brain. To Dover, no. Yeah. It's... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, no. Oh. no.
3: Unless there was a song that was La Baton Rouge.
2: That's an intriguing thought. I should know this, but Baton Rouge means red what? Red stick. That would be an odd name for a song. Yeah. Um, although sometimes novelty or kids' songs could hit number one.
3: Yeah, but. And I don't want to give Muffy, like, all the time in the world to think of an answer.
2: Right. uh, Um, I realize that, but we don't want to give up our shot.
3: Yeah, but the sooner we answer, the sooner she can't. Uh,
2: Right. There's a trade-off.
3: There is definitely a trade-off. Bill
2: Springfield. This is a great question. (laughs) I don't know the answer to it. Yeah, well, right. You want to go with O'Columbus? Yeah, at some point he's going to probably say Time anyway.
3: Yeah. Actually, let's go with La
2: Baton Rouge. Oh, I was going to say let's go with o Columbus.
3: I don't think, I don't. nothing in my mind is that Columbus has ever been a, a number one song. But if you want to go with that, we can go with that.
2: Because um, it's obviously something older, I'm thinking. Yeah. Um.
3: Yeah, let's just go with that.
2: All right, we'll which one with, are you? Uh, we'll go with uh,
0: Columbus and Mike yeah okay Columbus yep all right well that's a very creative guess I'll tell you in a second whether it's right but muffy your thoughts all right
1: uh, so I'm trying to think of state it's obviously got to be something that you um, usually like a state abbreviation with a vowel right um, uh, but it I can't it's not my m- bo- m- Boston <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> as, as, as they noted you did have all the time they were thinking to think as well so uh,
1: i know so i'm just going uh i'm gonna say um uh well um uh, m- m- me augusta <laughs>
0: Yeah, again, both both very creative guesses. Uh, I also wondered if someone would go for High Honolulu. Lulu, yeah. yeah. That one and O Columbus both seem somewhat plausible, at least to me. But um, in this case, the, the abbreviation looking for it, well, so this is for, for no points now, but just to give you a hint, the abbreviation can be used as a, um, I guess, form of address or title of address.
3: So it's... Oh, oh miss, it's, it's Miss Jackson if you're nasty.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, so, well, not, not
0: that... Uh, not that particular song, but yes, it is the one by Outcast. Uh I've always often pronounced Miss Jackson. It is, in fact, spelled
2: like Miz, the more modern isn't, abbreviation.
1: Isn't that clever?
2: <laughs> yeah, we were uh, all looking for state names that ended in vowels as much. Yeah,
0: Miss Jackson. Okay, so that no point awarded but pride because you didn't, didn't figure
2: it out at the end. Had either of you heard of the song Miss Jackson? Yeah, I've heard of the song,
1: yeah. Yeah, I would not have gotten that, but that's okay.
2: Part of it is we start thinking of the area of the country that we're in, and none of us are from the South. So it yeah. wouldn't have been a natural place to go.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good insight. Yeah, that's probably what happened. All right. Um, and then, okay, the last question of this round goes to Mike and Muffy trying to steal from Harvey. What state's Real Foot Lake was created when the 1811 and 1812 New Madrid earthquakes changed the course of the Mississippi River?
1: Oh, so a lake okay. created... 1811, 1812, there's earthquakes?
3: Yeah, the New Madrid quake was in was centered in Missouri.
1: That would have been my guess, too, for uh, a place where the river would shift like that. Yeah. Just based on thinking about, like, Civil War and Ulysses S. Grant and things I know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would guess Missouri as well.
3: Yeah, locking in with Missouri.
0: All right, Harvey? I'm pretty sure they're correct but that's again from game game theory perspective that's not the wise thing to get to concur with them. i
2: know but i i'm 100% certain that the new madrid quake um what did have its epicenter in missouri and was and that the show me state was a place where the river famously switched direction um and i can't imagine it would have been a neighboring state but just to go along with your game theory, I'll say Illinois. All right.
0: So it was, again, a huge earthquake. It centered in New Madrid in what is now the state of Missouri. But that particular part of the country where the river flows, a bunch of different states meet. The lake was actually created in the state of Tennessee. Oh. So that at the end of the medium round, there's been a slight shakeup in score. First place now is Harvey at 20.1. Very close behind Mike at 19.4, and just a little bit behind them, Muffy, at 16.1. And now in this next round, the questions will be worth six points for a steal and five points for a non steal so there's a potential for quite a bit of fluctuation remaining. All right. Now, these are supposed to be the hardest rounds. Um, it seems like the previous questions were already a bit challenging, so... Uh, <laughs> I just your
1: estimation of what's hard or easy.
2: (laughs) I shouldn't have thrown away the last question so easily. I should have thought more about states adjoining Missouri, but it is what it is.
0: Sometimes overconfidence can get you in those situations. All right. This question goes to Muffy and Harvey trying to steal from Mike. 2019's The Squirrel Who Saved Practically Everybody is the most recent book credited to what famously reclusive The Simpsons writer, who also created fictional sleuth Frank Burley and who has long been rumored to not actually exist. Oh.
2: Famously reclusive what writer? Writer for
0: The Simpsons.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This I have not heard before. Um, writers for The Simpsons, someone who's been around for a while and writing yeah. something in 2019... Um,
2: so who do you know who's written for The Simpsons other than, like, Groening and Conan O'Brien?
1: Yeah, um, Brad Bird was a consultant, but he exists. The only other name I can think of is Mike Scully, which I have no idea. I, he might even be, like, producer, but I have no idea.
2: Well, let, it's better than nothing. Let's go with Mike Scully.
1: All right, let's do it. All right. locking in Mike Scully? Yes, sir. Mike?
3: I believe a picture has surfaced of him. I believe it is John Swartzwelder.
0: So, um, yeah, Mike Scully was, I believe, the showrunner for a short time for The Simpsons and a writer producer. But the one with the mystique around him, so as you said, there is a photograph of him with a big mustache, which suggests he might be the inspiration for Ron Swanson uh, if he does exist. And <laughs> certainly many, many anecdotes and uh, stories circulated, <laughs> but uh, I've yet to see an actual interview or hear his voice. So, uh, I'll believe wow. it when one of those happens. His name is, as Mike said, John Swartzwelder.
1: Very nice. Thank
0: you. So that sends Mike back into the lead. And the next question goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal from Muffy. This is another one. You'll have a little bit of time to think, but not too much.
2: Who's trying to steal from whom on this question?
0: Mike and Harvey working together to steal from Muffy. Okay.
1: Poor, innocent, hard-working
0: <laughs> Muffy. <laughs> Here's a question. The list of the top ten highest-grossing films at the U.S. box office adjusted for inflation contains films released between 1937 and 1997. Two of those films came out in the same year and, in fact, competed against each other for the Best Picture Oscar. Name
2: both. You know, Mike, my first thought is 1939, The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind.
3: That, that's what I went for right away. Um, some of the other big blockbusters that come later weren't nominated for award- Academy Awards. So I would go with that answer.
0: Okay, let's lock it in. All right, you're locking in Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. All right, Muffy? Um, that was actually my first instinct as well, just
1: given the idea of 1937, but I'm going to go just even adjusted for inflation. I know Gone with the Wind is probably the top, because uh, it was also in like theaters for like years. Um, but if I get out of the top 10, I'm going to think of maybe the 70s, and I'm going to do maybe some of those initial blockbusters. So like if I have in the 70s, I could have maybe the first Star Wars and no, what would have been the same year? Um, is it Star Wars and is it Close Encounters of the Third Kind that year? No. Rocky is the year prior, I believe. And uh, Star Wars, you know what? I'm just, oh, shoot. Hey, not entirely sure because, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind were my first instinct. Let me just think, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, that seems 1980s. But uh, I'm just going to go with um, Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind
0: you're locking that in yeah so i think many people who are movie buff know 1939 is considered probably the best year in hollywood history so many classics not just those two but also my favorite film mr smith goes to washington and stagecoach goodbye mr chips ninochka so many other great movies came out that year the wizard of oz was nominated for best picture in that expanded field and it won a couple of musical awards it was not actually a box office success and in fact it didn't really break even until it was released in the 40s i think so gone with the wind definitely is on that list the wizard of oz is not star wars and close encounters again a good guess by 1977 the best picture field had shrunk and although close encounters was i believe nominated for best director it wasn't actually nominated for best picture uh, okay super competitive year the two that are in the top 10 both came out in 1965 the best picture loser on that list is called Dr. Zhivago, and the best picture winner was The Sound of Music.
1: I would never have thought Dr. Zhivago was that popular.
0: Same. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. Very
3: to- similar movies.
1: <laughs> the, the moral of the story of Dr. Zhivago is that it doesn't matter what time period it is, it just sucks to be Russia.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. It's
1: covered yeah. in snow,
0: they're hungry. But it's very beautiful and picturesque now.
1: Yeah, and they have big hats.
0: Yeah, those, yeah, the hats and the, I uh, like a music. Yeah, no, uh, no arm, no foul. And the next one, Mike and Muffy trying to steal from Harvey. And again, this one uh, may not be all that challenging for Mike, but we'll see. Eight,
2: player, <laughs>
0: eight players received a lifetime ban for Major League Baseball as a result of the Black Sox scandal. One was, speaking of uh, not Ms. Jackson, but Shoeless Joe Jackson. Name any one of the other seven.
1: Oh, there's Eddie Sakat, right?
3: Yeah, and there's Buck Weaver. There's Chick Gandel, but I, Scott's fine with me.
0: Okay. You're locking we'll in Eddie, Eddie Sakat? Yes. Yeah, you, obviously, um, you were a bit overmatched for this question, since I'm sure you could have named many more than one. But <laughs> sure, that's acceptable. So that is six points for Mike and Muffy. Uh,
1: nice.
0: Uh, I know that from the movie. Right. Hitman Out. <laughs> And now, again, like I said, lots of potential for shake-up. This actually has put Muffy into second place and Harvey into third. Yeah, and poor, poor Buck Weaver, uh, as he didn't actually agree to be part of the rigging of the World Series, but nevertheless, he was aware of the conspiracy and said nothing about it, which was enough to get him banned for life.
3: Oh. So he was played by John Cusack, so, yeah. you know, it all worked out in the end.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah. We could all,
1: we could only all hope for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so this goes to Muffy and Harvey trying to uh, steal from Mike, and this is a long quote in this one, so listen carefully. (laughs) Whose name has been redacted from this paragraph, taken from the bio section of the website of Meryl Marko, David Letterman's ex-girlfriend and former head writer. Here's the quote. I've replaced someone's name with an X in it. After that, Meryl Marko got a job on X's short-lived and ill-conceived attempt to star in her own variety show on CBS. During those few strange months, she believes she actually witnessed a choreographed production number being taped in which a young David Letterman and an even younger Michael Keaton were forced to sing and dance to the village people song, Macho Man. (laughs) Sometimes late at night when she is having trouble sleeping, she wonders if this could have been a feverish hallucination.
1: (laughs) Uh, So it's someone who had her own variety show.
2: An ill-fated variety show.
1: Yeah, on CBS. And if it's a young david letterman a young michael keaton
2: right it's got so a person would have been mysterious. younger um the only person that comes to mind initially for me is joan rivers
1: yeah that's true did she ever get her own show somebody's I'm not afraid. sure she was
2: always filling in for Carson wasn't she
1: she was so I don't know if she had her own show it sounds like it'd be someone even weirder and more disastrous
2: unless she had her own show that because it was ill-fated lasted for such a short duration that much like Super Train nobody remembers it today
3: <laughs> hey now I just watched all the episodes of Super Train on YouTube We <laughs> you
2: remember it <laughs> <laughs> So okay, right, nobody so outside of the present company. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: there's Joan Rivers is a thought. Um who else would have been just slightly improbable to have a, a variety show? Um like Not necessarily
2: improbable, but just that they had one that was ill what fated was say is
1: like B like Arthur. Like the female is,
2: Chevy Chase, you know what right. I mean?
1: B. Arthur. Um, it's Lucille, not a
2: bad guess.
1: Lucille Ball.
2: I think um, she was a little too early to have been that person.
1: Well, she would have. She was, let's see, She's. she would have been 60-ish at that point. It's like kind of
2: old to be starting your own show, isn't it? But isn't that part
1: of why maybe it was a disaster to have young men singing Macho Man with like Lucille Ball? See, was <laughs> she a CBS person or not? I'm trying to think of the networks. Um, B. Arthur, the Golden Girls was NBC. I don't remember about Maud. But- um, <laughs> Macho
2: Man, Macho Man, Andy dated the Golden Girls.
1: Exactly. So I'm thinking, well, she's she that would be this would be so something. It doesn't have
2: to be on the same network that the Golden Girls ended up. No,
1: just thinking. You tend to, if you had a hit with one network, they tend to keep you around and let you do indulgent, weird variety shows. On
2: the other hand, maybe she wore at her welcome with CBS with that variety show, leading her to land with NBC on the Golden Girls.
1: I feel like with B. Arthur, I'm thinking of her in the Star Wars Christmas special, which has her singing yeah. a. A sad, you know, jazzy tune in the cantina. Um,
2: maybe that got her to thinking, hey, I could have my own show.
1: Yeah. Uh, sh- you know, Macho maybe. Man
2: was, like, late 70s. He yeah, like 77,
1: 79, around there. Um, it's Village, wait, Macho Man is the Village People, right? Yes. Uh, her own variety show on CBS.
2: Village People, who I've seen in concert twice.
1: Wow. And you know what's amazing is they all have day jobs too. One of them is a construction worker. One of them is
2: a. <laughs> um, um, and if you've ever seen the video of their cover of Just a Gigolo, it's amazing.
1: I will have to check it out. I I'm, I'm debating between like B. Arthur and Lucille Ball. I don't know.
2: Um, I definitely feel that, still feel that Lucille Ball would have been just a little too old at that point. All
1: right, let's go with the, the inimitable B-, B. Arthur. Okay we'll lock her, we'll lock in b arthur
0: all right you've locked in b arthur yeah all right mike's had a lot of time to deliberate and so i'm afraid I that can't. whatever
2: the answer is he has it on dvd <laughs> <laughs>
3: um so we'll, I, we'll I, I, I i i do not have it on tape i have seen it it also stars a young Swoozy kurtz and a not so young dick sean this would be mary tyler moore
0: oh wow so show premiered in fall 1978, just after the seven-year run of the Mary Tyler Moore show had wrapped up, and she was attempting to prolong her TV career with the variety show uh, genre, and it uh, failed quite a bit, but it did launch several careers, and yes, it is Mary Tyler Moore.
1: Very nice. She's not going to make it, after all.
0: <laughs>
3: well, actually, lately she didn't, so... Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, I wanted to, yeah, to go to, to her funeral and laugh quite a bit, but I decided not to. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. A little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants.
0: (laughs) All right, so uh, Mike extended his lead uh, on that question, but we still have five questions left to go. All right, so this goes to Mike and Harvey uh, trying to steal from Muffy. Normally I ask this question with the help of a visual aid, but since it's an audio, uh, I'll just uh, adjust it accordingly. The name of which major party Prohibition-era presidential candidate has been redacted from this very real campaign slogan? And here's normally where I show a picture of a button with the slogan on it, but instead I'll just read the slogan. The slogan is, vote X and make your wet dreams come true. <laughs>
2: oh, I've heard this. So it's it somebody just, who would be, have been for repealing prohibition?
3: I, I don't know if that's, if that's a MacGuffin on this question or not. Um,
2: what, uh, what other meaning do you think wet dreams could have? I think it's just the
3: prohibition, just meaning it was that era, I mean, that he ran between, you know, in the in the 20s. Yeah. And it was somebody who wanted to repeal it.
2: Right. Well, that's what I was saying. But then you said um, that I might have been misdirected in thinking that. Yeah. Um... So my question to you was, can we think of what other context Wet Dreams might have been used in?
3: No, I, it's, I, I think it was pretty much only for Prohibition. Uh,
2: Which still gives us a period of, what were the endpoints like 19 around 19, 19, Did it start around 1919 or 1920?
3: Yeah, around there. So we're looking at Al Smith.
2: Like, it wasn't going to be FDR, obviously. Um right. He had other things he was able to run on. Um, so... Coolidge was running for re-election, so it wouldn't have been him. Yeah. Um, who, who was the Democratic nominee in 1924?
3: That was Al Smith.
2: I thought that was 28.
3: Or that could be 28. Um,
2: Was it Curtis in 24? Am I misremembering?
3: Uh, just the idea is Curtis and Smith are both in that in that era.
2: And it's they per- seem more likely than Hoover or Coolidge, I'm thinking. Yeah.
3: And not to play the stereotype too much, I would lean towards Al Smith.
2: Because of the New York connection?
3: Or more the Catholic connection, to get your Irish vote back.
2: Ooh. Um, and we just need to give the name, not the year, right? Just the name, yes. All right, so it doesn't matter whether it was 24 or 28. Right. Well, I think he ran in 28. Um, so that is a compelling reasoning, and why don't we go with Smith?
3: Yep, we'll go. Yep, we're locking in
0: with Al Smith. All right, locking in Smith. Uh, Muffy, do you have any thoughts?
1: Um, I'm. My thoughts were very much in the same vein as theirs, but um, I thought of Al Smith. I thought of uh, I don't know why this name came to mind. I might be later. I was going to say Alf Landon.
0: All right, is that your is that your guess? Sure. All right, I think Alf Landon ran in '36 six 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 against the yeah, yeah, and his his daughter Nancy Castlebaum was later a senator from uh. Kansas. Yeah, 24, I think you were, I believe that was Harding versus Cox, which was interesting because they were both from Ohio and both newspapermen. Uh, an odd coincidence. 28 um, as, well, wait, no. Wait, 24 wouldn't have been Harding. No, no, you're, no, you're right, like, you're right. That was
2: 1920. 1920
0: was Harding versus Cox. I'm not sure who 24 was. Maybe John Davis? Uh, was that when FDR ran as his running mate? Maybe. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, but anyway, 28, Hoover versus Smith. Um, also, Smith is just a good thing to guess if you are uh, just want to make a wild guess. And it is, <laughs> it is, in fact, correct in this case. Mike and Harvey had it. Uh,
1: nice. I'll,
0: vote Al Smith and make your wet dreams come true. <laughs> All right, that puts Harvey back into second place. Okay, uh, this next one goes to Mike and Muffy working to steal from Harvey. As a publicity stunt, in 1951, St. Louis Brown's owner, Bill Veck, sent a three-foot, seven-inch little person named Eddie Goodell up to bat in a major league game. Goodell, who unsurprisingly walked on four straight pitches and then was then replaced by a pinch runner, wore what non-standard number on his uniform?
3: Uh, Buffy, I think this is one <laughs>
1: That's That sounds good to me, sir.
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll go with eight.
0: All right, yeah, I won't, uh... Uh, Obviously extremely politically incorrect by today's standards, but uh, it is, I believe if you go to Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame, this uh, uniform is on display and the number on it is in fact 1 over 8. There you Uh, go. All right, that sends Muffy back into second place.
1: Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. (laughs) I appreciate you. Except when you steal from me.
2: <laughs> well, I could not that have that in picked the team? worst third category. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was uh, unfortunate luck in Harvey's case being uh, put up against Mike. Uh, but yeah, this, it was entirely just kind of luck of the draw. And, you know, if this goes long enough, um, you know, I'll... I'll people can get invited back and face different, uh, opposition, but, uh, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. So now we're going into the very last cycle. So each person will have one last question from their categories. And I think, I'm not sure. I think, uh, first place may be, uh, out of contention by this point, but, uh, second place can still, uh, is still very close. Uh, so here's, this question goes to Muffy and Harvey. True for Mike. David Yazbeck won an Emmy writing for David Letterman in 1984, but soon left comedy for musical theater. To date, he's done the music and lyrics for five musicals staged on Broadway, all of which were based on previously released movies. Name any one of those five.
2: Hmm. So are so, you thinking the movie would have likely been a comedy, or is that not necessarily Well,
1: true? there's a few. So David yazbek that name is familiar. I'm trying to think so... There is that sort of the early two thousands is when they start doing all of those things. That's based when on, the
2: producers went to Broadway.
1: Well, that was Mel Brooks; he did it himself. Okay. The Lion King is somebody else. I'm thinking maybe Thoroughly Modern Millie, uh, which was. Do you based think it's on a, a more
2: conventional? Wasn't that a revival?
1: That was a that was based on a mo- terrible movie starring actually Mary Tyler Moore and Julie Andrews from like 1968 69 ish. It was a movie musical, and they turned it into actually a successful stage show. What are the other ones? We've had – there's been Legally Blonde. That might be possible.
2: Yeah, like that's more in the vein of the type of movie I was thinking that um, The Refugee from Letterman would have gotten involved. Yeah,
1: Legally Blonde, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. What else? There's always the Disney ones, but I think they have their people. Yeah. There are. Uh, I think they
2: do have their people, and it just doesn't seem like the right fit for a guy like. I that. think
1: Ziggly Blonde is probably a good guess. Kinky Boots was based on a movie, but that's Cindy Lauper. Uh, and
2: Kinky Boots, it was already a correct response earlier in yeah, this. Exactly.
1: Game. Let's see what else are other big Broadway musicals that have been based on previously released material. They did a well.
2: There was. And specifically, previously released movies.
1: Something, yeah. Um.
2: Um, uh, How about and uh, I know that and Mean Girls was Tina Fey, so that couldn't be him.
1: Yeah, because that was her husband wrote the music, Jeff Richmond. Um, I would go with Legally Blonde. That's it's
2: Wait, did the did the question specify that Beck wrote the music? He did the music and lyrics, both. Oh, and lyrics. Um,
1: um, Billy Elliot was based, but I don't think he did Billy Elliot. That's based on a movie. Um there are... it
2: is, Mike probably has the original cast recording? I'm um, sure. Uh, yeah, do you want to go with Legally Blonde? Yeah,
1: that seems middle-of-the-road enough. Legally okay. Blonde!
0: All right, so you're locking in Legally Blonde, the musical? Yes, Yeah. Sir. All right, uh, without revealing anything, I'll just pass it over to Mike.
1: Um,
3: I was actually going to go with movie-turned-musical-turned-movie again with Little Shop of Horrors.
0: Final? is that what you're locking in?
3: Yeah, as I am locking in.
0: All right. Uh, I think Little Shop of Horrors, was that like a Mencken-Schwartz one? So, uh... The first three that were moderately successful were, I don't remember the order, but one was The Full Monty, one was uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I think won the lead actor, one was based on Pedro Almodovar's uh, Mujeres al Borde de un Ataque de Nervios, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. The big one that won him the best musical Tony, very recent, starred uh, Katrina Lank and Tony Shalhoub on Broadway. It was called The Band's Visit. Oh, yeah. And uh, the one that currently is running on Broadway is called Tootsie.
1: Oh. (laughs) What a shame. It's my favorite
0: movie. Yeah, he also, of course, most relevantly to me, he and uh, his friend Sean Altman of Rockapella co-wrote the theme song for Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's the important stuff. Right.
0: That's what I would know him best for, but... All right, this, this next question is, I think, a fun one. It goes to Mike and Harvey trying to steal from Muffy. In the final scene of Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, Grace Kelly's character is seen reading a travel book called Beyond the High Himalayas, which is, in fact, a real book. What longest-serving U.S. Supreme Court justice wrote it he may be better known for authoring things like The Majority Opinion in Griswold Week Connecticut?
3: Okay, Mr. Lawyer...
2: Okay. Um, I think William Douglas was the longest serving Supreme Court Justice. I know I've, I've seen this come up recently. I just want to make sure I'm not misremembering because I saw the factoid about that Himalayas book recently. Um, it may have come up in the context of the fact that the longest serving Justice was also impeached at one point. I believe Ford, who was then a congressman, led the impeachment. But just off longest serving Supreme Court justice, I would have to say William O. Douglas. I- I'm going to go with whatever Hardy says. <laughs> or just uh, to be just to be careful, I'm just going to go with the last name Douglas. All right. You're locking in
0: Douglas. I'll uh, pass it over to Muffy.
1: That was my first instinct, too. But just to be arbitrary, I'll say Potter Stewart. <laughs>
0: all right. Yeah, I didn't know how, again, uh, some of these questions, I'm not sure how much to withhold and how much to put in. I, I suspect that would have been much harder without the longest serving parts my intuition right on that?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Harvey's recollection is slightly off. William O. Douglas was not impeached. Ford did attempt to, or did a kind of attempt to introduce a resolution oh, impeaching right. him, but it, it failed. But his protege, Abe Ford, similarly was not impeached, but was essentially pushed off of the court due to a, a scandal involving financial improprieties. Uh, and Douglas was involved with a lot of similar issues. He had He also holds, the other uh, Supreme Court uh, record he holds, he was divorced three times more than any Mm -hmm. other Supreme Court justice. So he was in a lot of, uh, he had a lot of financial issues and there was a lot of uh, heat surrounding those, but he was never formally impeached. By that point in the 70s, he was fairly infirm, but earlier in his life, he was a huge uh, traveler and he did travel to many parts of the world and write books about it. That's not so much remembered today, except somehow it uh, shows up in uh, a classic movie. Um, yes, it was William o. Douglas. Um, you know when it, you
2: see it. <laughs> uh, well, that was Patterson. Yeah, was <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: William o. Douglas is the one who gave us the right to privacy. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh,
0: he argued that that, uh, although not explicitly stated in the Bill of Rights, could be formed from the penumbra of the Bill of Rights. Penumbra doctrine, sometimes referred to as.
2: First articulated uh, in Griswold? Uh,
0: yes, right. That's, That's the birth
1: control one, right?
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. That struck down a state law banning contraception that technically only established right of privacy for married couples, but later case law basically expanded that to include all kinds of contraception. Yeah, Douglas also had he had some in influential um, minority dissents, including one in which he uh, argued on behalf of the Sierra Club that natural resources should be granted legal personhood, which, which I suspect is an argument that may be revived some point in the near yeah. future. All right. And now we've come to the last question of the game. Mike has basically put it out of reach, but Muffy and Harvey, basically whichever one gets this right, will have second place. And this will go to Mike and Muffy working together and then to Harvey. All right. Before the 1934 season, star pitcher Dizzy Dean is said to have promised the St. Louis Cardinals that if they hired his brother Paul, the two combined would win 45 games. Within one... How many games were they actually credited with winning as pitchers during that regular season, not counting the four victories that they gave the Cardinals in the World Series?
3: Okay. All right. Dizzy definitely won at least 30, because he was the second to the last pitcher to win 30 in a season. Okay. I believe his brother won
1: 19. Okay.
3: And if I can do math, I believe 30 and 19 are
1: 49. I, uh, I also can add, Mike. I'm going to agree with that estimation.
3: Okay, we're going to lock in with 49.
2: All right, uh, Harvey? Um, so if they're right, it basically doesn't matter what I say. What season did you say this was, 1934? 1934, yes. Okay, so the first thing that I'm wondering is, was that the year that Dizzy Dean won 30 games? But if it wasn't, then that would be a really obscure question. Um, And you have to be within one of the combined total? Yep. And the question stipulates that Dizzy promised that they would win 45?
0: That's what the story goes. One of many entertaining stories about Dizzy Dean. Okay, so it might be
2: apocryphal.
0: So, well, yeah, the the story may be apocryphal, but the uh, total of games that they won, obviously, is a matter of record.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to guess 45.
0: All right, so um, I think, Mike, I I think you'd have any trouble naming the more recent pitcher to win 30 games in a season, right?
3: Yes, that'd be Mr. McClain.
0: Yeah, Danny McLean of your uh, Detroit Tigers. But uh, in 1934, as you said, Dizzy Dean, he went two and one in the World Series, but he did win 30 games in the regular season. His brother went two and zero in the World Series. They often went to get, famously, and I believe Paul threw a no hitter in the second game of a doubleheader, and which Dizzy had thrown a shutout in the first game, leading him to supposedly tell his brother, "If I'd known you were going to throw a no hitter, I'd th- th- thrown one too." <laughs> But his brother that year did, as you said, win 19 games. So 49 was exactly correct as the total. And that gives uh, six points to Mike and Muffy. So we end on a score of 59.1 for Mike, uh, 34.1 for Muffy, and 32.1. Very, very narrow margin there. Uh, but Harvey's in third place. Well,
3: I'm going to have to fight for my point three points here.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. I yeah. somehow that dropped out at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, Mike. <laughs> well, well,
3: just in case it becomes like a record or something or tournament of champions qualifying, you know, you have to. Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what in my notes I was having it at point four to the end of the first round, then somehow it switched to point two, then somehow to point one. I guess I got distracted uh, with all the, of the that's others. The final
1: question: there. What is your score actually? <laughs>
0: congratulations mike so that's sorry that was uh, a 59.4 for mike not 59.1 of this earlier 34.1 32.1 yeah very close because of the way it's structured uh people can earn points for questions that their partner knows and that they don't so there is it is you know kind of a a game that has an element of luck to it in addition to knowledge
1: yes i will i will testify to that (laughs) i'm also looking forward to david Yazbek's new musical oh columbus About 1492, right, yeah. singing and dancing.
2: <laughs> Perhaps Miss Jackson will be part of the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: or Oklahoma's. Plus, uh,
0: plus, of course, that uh, update to Rogers and Hammerstein, "Okay, Oklahoma City."
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was also trying to think there could be a, a rap number, "Ill Springfield." <laughs>
0: I, think, I, I grew up in Springfield. I, I have a hard time thinking of it as Illin, but... No, 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 times change. Times change. That's true. Who knows what it's like now.
2: And <laughs> you're if walking you're walking around yeah. Springfield, you might want to be carrying a red stick for protection.
1: Exactly. I feel like we've got a future in stage musicals.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give you all kind of a few seconds to just give any last statements you want. So first, Mike.
3: Well, I Honored to be the first winner and I really enjoyed my time here today. And I also give my props to Muffy and Harvey for playing a great game as well. All
0: right, Muffy.
1: Uh I had a fabulous time playing. Uh It's a shame that Mike and Harvey are such dirty, dirty thieves that they kept taking the questions that I actually knew and then missing the ones that I didn't know. But I don't hold it against them. I had a fabulous time and well done, you guys.
2: I think I feel about thievery, Muffy. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, congratulations to Mike. Um, I'm sure your employer is proud that you demonstrated your baseball knowledge. And congratulations, Muffy, on also just edging me out. But it was also fun to team up with you on those questions that we stole.
1: And I have to say, I've I've learned that I'm kind of scared of Mike's DVD collection. (laughs) It sounds both both vast and obscure with dark cobwebby corners of...
0: (laughs) All right. I know I know a lot of podcasts have started the tradition of titling each episode after a quote someone presented. <laughs> so, I think that may be this title. Uh, I'm kind of scared of Mike's DVD collection. <laughs> this has been episode 1 of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Raut. Thanks for listening.